Everybody, welcome to the November sixth. Excuse me. Welcome to the December second, two thousand and sixteen version of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Kazuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the death of Cuban leader Fidel Castro last Friday. Mixed, uh, met with mixed emotions, Castro's passing is significant both culturally and politically. Penny Calhoun from Westward, uh, this made big news even though he's not leading Cuba anymore. This was still uh, big throughout the United States, obviously bigger in probably states like Florida than was Colorado, but uh, general reactions that you saw? Well, certainly the impact that he had on the Western Hemisphere and the world with the revolution in Cuba was undeniable. The visuals comparing Miami, for example, to Cuba, where there was open weeping, Miami, there's open celebrating. The other amazing thing was the timing, that he passed away just before the first commercial airlines came into Cuba from the U.S. on December 1st. Wow. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Um, I, I guess for folks who are talking about Fidel's uh, legacy, um, sometimes we're making a chain or not a, a distinction between him and Raul Castro. Is, is Raul Castro's uh, um, current leadership of uh, Cuba uh, just an extension of what we saw from Fidel? Yes, and after Obama's appeasement, uh, Raul has intensified the crackdown on dissidents. For example, arresting more of the ladies in white, the women who are protesting the tyranny there. Of course, you could go to North Korea and find people crying there too when the tyrant passes away. But I'm not sure I'd call it openly because you can't do anything openly in Cuba other than what's approved by the government. Uh, he came in in 1959 promising free and open elections in, 19, in, in 18 months, one of his many lies. He and his brother continue to run the nation as a gigantic slave plantation. Calorie consumption per capita has dropped since they came in. The health care system is a disaster, despite the propaganda that uh, is believed by people whom Lennon called useful idiots. You can only get antibiotics there on the black market. And when El Fidel got sick in 2006, he called for a Spanish doctor. His legacy is the tyrannical, murderous regimes currently in Nicaragua and Venezuela. I'm a Chalkyopist, not a fan. So, uh, <laughs> John Bowman from Five Points News. Uh, it comes at a, a unique time for American history. As, as David referenced, we have different relations, courtesy of President Obama, but we may have even more different relations under a President Trump. What are your thoughts in this current era of American relations with Cuba? Well, you know, uh, I would say, first off, Castro was a true revolutionary in, in every sense of the word. He kicked out the Sam G. and Connemile out of Chicago. He kicked them out, and that was where everybody went to gamble, Havana, Ricky Ricardo, the whole bit. Now, when he came in, the white Cubans were, you know, got out. The black and the brown Cubans stayed there, as David referenced, the big plantation in the sky. Um, the bottom line is, uh, you know, Castro ended up sending the prisoners and the mentally challenged to America. You know, and then everybody else was left to get in a bathtub or whatever they wanted to float, float across the deal. And, uh, but the bottom line is, for me, I guess, in one sense, the Mario boat lift, which came up in uh, 61 uh, with the Peter Pan boat lift, they got all the, a lot of children out. And one of those kids that was able to get out with his two brothers was one of our past mayors, Bill Vidal. So without that 
maybe we wouldn't have known Bill. Yeah, that's a good point. Right out the panel today, Nick Garcia from Chalkbeat, Colorado. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what did you think of the uh, announcement of the historic passing? Thanks for having me. Um, I think what was most fascinating was reading all the obituaries and for me how similar some of uh, Fidel's tactics sort of mirror uh, some of the things we're seeing with Donald Trump as far as uh, using the media and you know circumventing the media and creating his own uh, direct line to the people inciting uh, using the other tactic you know Fidel you know always you know painted America as this this evil nation and it will just be very fascinating to to watch to see what sort of parallels uh, exist between uh, Trump and Fidel in the way they go about communicating with the public. According to John, Governor John Hickenlooper's proposed budget, he plans to direct $12.3 million in annual marijuana tax revenue toward addressing Colorado's issue of chronic homelessness. The money would fund the construction of new homes for both perpetual and circumstantial homeless individuals. Additionally, a total of $6 million would be applied to housing for people with low income or mental health needs. Um, Patty, this seemed like an interesting use of pot uh, tax revenue here. I didn't know we had that much freedom with it, but I guess if the governor's going to put in his budget, we do. What do you think? Well, we do, and it's interesting because people were talking about what would happen when John Hickenlooper went to Washington, and then they're talking about if he's not going to Washington, what will he do? And what's interesting about this is we're seeing one of his very early emphasis when he was mayor, Denver's Road Home. He's now taking to the Capitol, and he's trying to finish up a project he started. There's no question the chronically homeless issue is the toughest one. That's not necessarily everyone you pass as you're coming here to the studio. It's the people who are the toughest to get to find help, the people who have mental challenges, they have physical challenges. And getting them into housing has been shown over and over to save money ultimately and to really help on the streets. The homelessness problem in Colorado is huge. And this is a good start. And why not use the pot money? I mean, people have blamed pot for the increase in homelessness. If there's any, it's minuscule, I think. People were flocking to Colorado even before pot was legal. David, the, the breakdown we've seen so far breaks into a couple different areas. But if you're going to spend state funding on homelessness, is this broken up the right way? Well, I think that Natasha Gardner on uh, uh, last week from 5280 Magazine provided some important perspective that homelessness is not one category. So what you, circumstantial homelessness, she, she mentioned, for example, a 35-year-old single mom and who's had a, a string of bad luck and maybe some bad choices, too, but give her a, a home to live in for three months to get back on her feet, then she could go back and, and become self-supporting and, and, and help take care of her kids. So that, that can be a constructive thing. The mental health thing of Independence Institute, we've long been saying, is, is seriously underfunded and is one of the most important things we need to, to reprioritize. So that's good as well. But it's also true that I, I think when Governor Hickenlooper said he's doubling down on what he did before, well, what he did before, he was going to, over a decade ago, he was going to end homelessness in Colorado, in, in Denver, and that didn't work at all. It's not just something that the government can solve. Part of it is people's own choices, and all the government spending in the world is not going to convince some people to change the lifestyle choices they've made to be a wino, to be a drug addict, and choose to live on the streets. John, is uh, substance abuse treatment getting a short shrift here? Well, I, I'm I'm not sure, but but there is there is that there is that element in the homeless situation. There's also the mental 
uh, as as Patty indicated. But by law, uh, by law, I think they're going to have to go and change the Constitution. They're going to have to change the amend uh, the amendments because the amendment says the money is supposed to go to education. Um, so I'm not sure if they can. I know everybody is, you know, and the legislature is clamoring for the for, for this money, but I'm not sure they can do that without going without it being legislated. Uh, I think Hickenlooper would do better. Uh, to go to other states and other uh, other mayors and talk to the governors in those states and 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 find out why, as the rumor goes, so many people get bus tickets to Denver. As Patty said, this is not just recent that this has all come about, and it's not necessarily for pot. We've talked to plenty of homeless on the streets, and what they tell us is that it's the medical card that they get when they come here. They can get their teeth fixed. They can get all the ailments that they have fixed. It's that rather than the drugs of any kind. And so maybe stopping the bus, the free tickets to Denver is, is a first step and then figure out whether this homeless bureaucracy that would be, would be built up. I mean, we have the Denver Housing Authority and they can't house these people. So how is the state going to be able to do it? Nick, um, do you think Governor Hickenberg is going to run to a lot of opposition on uh, Capitol Hill on this one? Well, you know, I think that if this is going to be state money, we need a statewide solution. And more, I think the bigger question is, is the right money going to the right problems? Is you know, the money going across the state, or is it all going to be concentrated in Denver? There's homelessness in Pueblo, there's homelessness in Colorado Springs, and there's homelessness on the Western Slope and on the Eastern Plains. And so I think you're going to see a lot of Republican rural lawmakers, especially in the Senate, question, is this going to be a fair shake for the entire state, or is this just going to take care of a Denver problem? Except with the whole uh, competition between Denver metro and rural areas, it's not, that battle's never going to go away. No. <laughs> As President-elect Donald Trump continues to sift through candidates for his administration, former Colorado Congressman Bob Beaupre is being considered for the Department of the Interior. According to Beaupre, he'd be thrilled to serve in this position, which oversees close to 700 million acres of federal land and the energy production on those lands. Uh, David, is Beaupre a good fit for a potential, a potential good fit for Donald Trump's administration? I think he'd be a very good fit, and Beaupre would be an example of some, some of the Trump appointments are things that never would have occurred had an actual normal Republican been elected, like Steve Bannon as chief strategist. <laughs> Others certainly are very much within what you'd expect from, from any Republican who, got, who, who won, and, and Bob Beaupre is that. So the, the people who are currently working on their hysterics about Trump ought to be able to, should distinguish between what's different about Trump in particular and not worry about the things, well, a Republican won. That, that's going to happen from, from time to time in a free country. <laughs> uh, the energy issue is really important for multiple reasons. One is that the, the, the amount of social conflict we have in this country and the political polarization, what we found historically is when the economy is doing better and when people have jobs where they can support their families and don't feel marginalized or oppressed for whatever reason, that makes a big difference in calming the social temperature. There's a lot of jobs that can be unlocked in this country uh, with proper and wise and pro-environmental use of public lands. We have now decades of practice showing that public lands just like private lands, can be developed for their, their abundant natural resources, including energy, in a way that's environmentally responsible and that does not harm other uses of the land, such as uh, hunting or fishing or 
hiking and, and, and everything else. They, they can be used for multiple ways in responsible ways, and, and Bob Beaupre understands that. And the, less, the more we're producing energy at home, the less we're shipping to the tyrannies uh, such as uh, Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Russia. John, I think we hear a lot of different names for various cabinet positions, so you can't put a whole lot of stock in every single one we hear. But do you think Bob Prey would be a good fit and compatible with Donald Trump, who, as we've alluded to this table <laughs> for many months, is not a typical politician? Well, you know, uh, Trump has said he wants to, he wants to spur national, natural gas and oil uh, drilling uh, both off and onshore. Now, does that mean... He wants to do that in national parks, on national park land. As you mentioned, there's 700 million acres around the country, and many of those acres are right here in Colorado. Now, will Bob Opre say, as the feds did a week or two back, and as Hickenlooper did a couple of weeks ago, uh, dump some of those old uh, leases that are out there that are kind of inactive, that are on federal land? I mean, I don't know. Bob, Bob Opre hasn't said one way or the other what he plans to do. Um, if he, if, 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 this may be for him just another chance to jump back into the swamp, and, and that could be bad for not only Colorado, but bad for the country. Nick, Colorado seems to be a, uh, a good target for uh, the Secretary of the Interior um, nominations on both sides of the aisle. Uh, is this going to uh, give Colorado some extra, I guess, uh, play in a Trump administration, whereas right now the, the state voted Hillary and state Republicans did not vote Trump? So does this get the centennial state back into good graces with the Trump administration if Beaupre <laughs> is eventually tapped? Yeah, Colorado is not very friendly to Donald Trump at all. Um, I don't necessarily think so. I would be shocked if Beaupre got uh, the nod. But I think to actually answer your first qu the question, previous question, I think we should be wondering which Bob Beaupre would actually go to Washington. <laughs> you know, um, is it going to be the Tea Party Bob or is it going to be the centrist, you know, who ran for governor? Um, I think that's a, a more important question we should be asking and watching for the answer if he does get the nod. Patty, does Beaupre get the nod? You know, I, I would hope he would just because it is definitely uh, the devil you know, you know, is better than the devil you don't. And in this case, Bob Opre really is a rancher. He grew up on a dairy. He knows the West. He knows the experience. We've had a lot of secretaries of the interior come from Colorado. We had Ken Salazar. But you go back to James Watt during the mm -hmm. Reagan years, and we had some wild action there. I just can't imagine that Bob Beaupre wouldn't be better than, say, Sarah Palin, whose name is <laughs> also being floated. I think except for maybe some more uh, uh, active part of Trump's base, everyone would agree with that part. Morgan Carroll, recent Congressional District 6 candidate and outgoing state senator, announced on Tuesday that she will run for chair of the Colorado Democratic Party. This news came, comes the same day as six-year party chair Rick Palacio announced that he will not pursue another term, shifting his support to Carroll. John, is uh, Carol a good person to lead the Colorado Democratic Party right now while she was significantly... Um, uh, uh, Trounced? <laughs> I was, it, I'm going to go with your, your word there. She, uh, she, it was not a close race in CD6. Is she a good fit for party chair? Well, you know, timing is everything, and the party is king. So that's the bottom line with, with any, any political party. Um, what, I'm, what I'm concerned about is, well, uh, will they allow... Uh, as a result of the election, this past election, will they allow independents to vote, on, vote for her uh, relative to the Democratic chair of the, in the state? I mean, that's a twisted kind of thought, but 
if they have, if they now have the right to go to the caucuses and do, you know, act like they're in the party but not in the party, they could screw this up for Morgan Carroll. So um, uh, I guess time will tell. Well, uh, Nick, John brings up a good point about the newly passed law that talks about opening of the primary system. Now, I believe, and I, I could get this wrong, um, that the parties have a choice. They can either go an open primary, for this is not just a presidential, but just for their own party, or they can close it all down and just have the convention. You can't do both as, a, as what we've heard. Uh, where do you think, if she is elected chair, that Morgan Carroll is going to sway as where she'd want input? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. I don't know if I could answer that. But I do think that Democrats need to be thinking about two really important issues. One, the governor race coming up in two years, and looking even beyond that, redistricting. You know, whoever, whichever party is in control of the General Assembly will have a big advantage on redistricting, which will have multiple, 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 you know, repercussions in the future. And so I think Democrats need to be asking themselves, is Morgan Carroll the person who can deliver us the governorship and the Senate in a few years when redistricting comes up. And, you know, looking at Pueblo and Adams County, where traditional Democratic strongholds, that's going to be a tough job. Patty, we saw at the United States House a... Uh the, the the actual vote tally wasn't very close, but we actually saw uh, Nancy Pelosi having to fight for re-election to lead her party there. And while that's distinctly part of a legislature, not a, a party, people are talking about having a new voice that, that's needed. For the National Party, I get that for the Democrats. In Colorado, Democrats didn't do that bad. Uh, the, uh, statewide, you saw Bennett do well. Um, they didn't, uh, a lot of different things didn't, didn't shift too much. Is Morgan Carroll the right voice for that party? She could be, depending on if she wanted to have a big tent. You know, it's interesting today, while we're filming this, you had the four of the candidates for the national DNC chair are in town. Remember when Romer was the national DNC mm -hmm. chair? A lot of it maybe doesn't depend as much on the DNC, you know, on the chair as we've thought it has. The other thing to consider is we're going to be seeing something going on with the state Republican Party. I mean, the fight we had, you know, with Steve House, he was a very controversial character, too. So will he continue on? Morgan could do a good job, but she would really have to reach out and go beyond just the trial lawyer contingency, for example. Democrats are going to have to have a much bigger tent. David, in, in two years, I think we face a, a, a I think every election is significant, but we, we could be looking, because every first-term president faces a midterm election that is not kind to his or her party. Uh, you have um, the, uh, Rep the Democrat and Republican um, majorities in the legislature aren't huge and they can be overtaken one way or the other. So that we're looking at two years being a big deal here in Colorado. Is Morgan Carroll the right leader? Is there another person who would be better to lead that party? I don't know the answer to the second. Morgan Carroll could be the right leader. And I think for exactly on the, the things that Patty talks about. She's respected within the party for good reason. She was uh, in the state Senate leadership. Her family goes back to the late 1950s in the Democratic Party's winning elections. So she knows about that. But her, her own campaign sort of hit the problem with the Democratic Party right now. And, and part of the reason she lost is, are you going to be, try to run the, are Colorado Democrats just going to be a Denver Boulder outlet of outpost of the San Francisco Pelosi Democrats 
and fight all those culture war issues and bring in a lot of money from the bicoastal billionaire class like Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg, or are you going to find a way to be a more inclusive party that can win outside of that area? You know, the, the fact that Pueblo, one of the most democratic places in the country for a long time is now trending Republican, tells you the state Democratic Party is doing something very, very wrong. Um, I think Morgan Carroll has the ability to see that and fix it, whether she would choose to, you know, it's sort of you want the voters or you want the money, um, and you, you, you may have to make a trade-off there, and if she could be a strong and great leader for the party if she'll choose the voters over the billionaires. <laughs> Let's get a quick take on this last topic. Racially motivated incidents occurring in Colorado is on the rise. Reports of spray-painted swastikas, racial slurs, and other hate speech on homes, cars, and schools throughout the state have surfaced. Meanwhile, the self-proclaimed alt-right movement is gaining media attention, but some are calling the moniker into question, saying neo-Nazi or white supremacist is more accurate. Uh, Nick, we'll do a quick take on this one. When it, you hear the term alt-right, uh, do we in the media or everyone else need to take a, a stronger look at that term? Well, I think you saw some uh, uh, guidance from the AP to put alt-right in quotation marks, uh, scare quotes, so I thought that was very fascinating. Uh, I mean, this is a term that they have embraced, this movement. This is a term that, you know, they, uh, they like. Uh, granted, I think that there is some nuance and there is some parsing with every group that I think the media is responsible to do. So I guess uh, following that AP advice, really be specific when what you are talking about uh, the alt-right. I can't think of any, uh, anyone better to ask this question to as an award-winning uh, news editor in Patty. Patty, what do you think was, what, about our use of the term? Well, interestingly, Westward is an alternative newspaper. That's a genre that grew up in the 70s, and no one would call those papers right. So now that <laughs> some on the right are being labeled alt, they should be honored. It's a, you know, alt-left, alt-right. Basically, you don't want to label any group because there is so much variation within. Just as there's variation within Democrats and Republicans, there's variation within the fractions of those parties. And it's extremely important to really be specific about who you're talking about rather than falling into stereotyping. David, what do you think? Two weeks ago, we talked about really uh, the hijacking of Breitbart.com. The, the, the founder, Andrew Breitbart, was not, nothing like Steve uh, Bannon. What do you think about the term alt-right? I think it's an overstatement that gives these scum too much legitimacy to be taken seriously. Alternative newspapers, even in the early days in the 70s, didn't have, say, the circulation of the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News, but they were a notable presence with a lot of readers. If you listen to alternative rock, you're not going to the people in that genre don't have as much listenership as you know, the Rolling Stones, but there's a lot of people who listen to alternative rock. In contrast, this meeting of the so-called alt-right, 200 losers uh, <laughs> getting a, a day pass from their mother's basement uh, <laughs> in a hotel room in Washington, D.C., is not a significant political movement, no more so than the Black Panther, the New Black Panthers, another extremist fringe hate group which has actual real, very little support among real patriotic Americans, and neither of those should be treated by the media as if they were some important movement. John, wrap it up for us. Well, I mean, if the alt-right is, is Bannon and he's now in the White House, 
I mean, there has to be some legitimacy given to that, to that, to that group of people. Bigotry, along with racism, sexism, and all that, are on the rise. And now, as Trump, uh, as Donald heads to the Trump House, I mean, the White House, um, who knows what's going to happen? I think what we've seen last week with the flag burning, take their passports, kick them out of the country, put them in jail for a year, all of that, I, I, and this whole this whole situation with with. Uh, pay for play in terms of the defense department contracts that 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 the, that the government is giving to uh, te what is it inter international technology the the company that is the owner of carrier i think i think what we're seeing right now this week even before this presumptive guy gets in the white house i think all of this is critical as to what goes on over the next couple of years let's get to our favorite part of the show disgrace of the week as always miss Calhoun, please start us off well, we've discovered the dangers of social media and tweeting. If everyone could just be a little more civil, I would, uh, unlike, say, Dr. Michelle Heron, who has worked at Denver Health, worked at CU, and put up a really bad, bad comment about Michelle Obama on Facebook, a professional should be smarter. David. The camp climate on too many campuses, which encourages hatred, violence, and intolerance. For example, the Ohio State University criminal carrying out the tactics promoted by ISIS and the Palestinian Intifada with his car and knife attack, was taking a class in microaggressions, and it turned out that this week was his, uh, his group project was due. And after he'd attempted to murder all those students, the Ohio State University diversity director says, well, he's still a part of our community. <laughs> John. Um, I'm going to say uh, the gathering of the long blue line for um, uh, Trooper Cody uh, Donahue, who was hit on the side of the highway last week. Uh, his funeral going on as we're taping right now, and it's just a, it's just a sad situation that uh, police officers continue to get killed while performing traffic stops or helping people out on the road. Mm -hmm. Nick. On that note, Colorado drivers ranked the eighth worst in the nation. Oh, come on. <laughs> Insurance. Uh, my horn. Quiz wizard. <laughs> Ranked it. And you're using sources? And that, that, that's a CIO no-no, but that's okay. Nick. We'll look we'll, we'll, we'll at this side. That's not a fake news source. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, maybe. Um, uh, about less than two minutes to go. Patty, say something nice about somebody? Well, the flip side of what I just talked about, the First Amendment, which is not easy. It is not easy to protect and observe the First Amendment, but it's critical. David. Denver Congresswoman Diana DeGette, who got through the U.S. House by an overwhelming margin, her bill to speed up approvals uh, for life-saving and other very important drugs. John. And a dovetail on uh, what we just talked about in terms of worst drivers, 266 stops since the trooper was killed, 186 didn't move over, they were cited, and that means four points on their license, against their license, so bottom line is move over. Nick. Uh, I got to spend some really great quality time over at the Cole campus in Northeast Denver, uh, an amazing school with a rich history, and spending time with students is always a reminder of why education is important. Yeah. That's all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out the Colorado Inside Out podcast feed on iTunes and now on Google. And, of course, you can check out all the topics on Facebook and Twitter. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.